and welcome into another edition of the Mutant Blitz Podcast. I am your host, Josh Hennig. As promised, it is the Black Panther Wakanda Forever Review. Thank you for tuning in. If you're watching on YouTube, hit the like button, subscribe, share it with others. If you are listening, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, give us a review, subscribe, share. Appreciate you tuning in. We have a bunch of stuff I want to cover. I don't want to go too crazy um, with this coverage because I got to admit, for as great as I, as much as I enjoyed the movie, the movie did have one major flaw that I will get to. So this is not going to be the most um, over-the-top podcast. This is going to be, I'm going to explain to you guys what, why and what about this movie and about what it means for the rest of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So also, spoilers, they're here, they're coming. You know how we roll here on the Mutant Bliss Podcast. Uh I want to start with this, with the with the movie. Uh, the movie was very well done. I think that there is there's a perception being portrayed out there that this movie um, is, you know, oh, it's not as good as the first, or, oh, this movie, they're trying too hard, and all this stuff. And I got to be honest, I didn't get any of that from this movie. What I got from this movie was... They were trying to accomplish two things at one time, and they narrowly accomplished it. The first thing that they accomplished in this movie was they they were trying to to give credibility and respect to all the work and the legacy of the Black Panther character that Chadwick Boseman portrayed. And they didn't want to betray or... Uh, run away from or be dismissive of any of that. So I appreciated that. Like, I genuinely appreciated that. I think they also accomplished their goal of trying to lay the groundwork for the future of the MCU in terms of a couple different areas. And I'll get into those details momentarily. I think the reason why I said they barely accomplished it because... I understand that some people may walk away from that movie feeling like there was a little too much connective tissue to the death of Chadwick Boseman in real life and trying to weave that into the movie world because a good portion of the movie is talking about all of these characters like Shuri and Nakia and Okoye and M'Baku and Ramonda and all these people in Wakanda, and who knew him well, dealing with um, Chadwick Boseman's character, T'Challa, no longer being with us. And, you know, I think they maybe could have done a little more with that instead of him just dying of a mysterious illness that couldn't be cured. I think that was a little bit of a... It was almost like a opportunity for them to, you know, let's move on to the morning part. Let's move on to the aftermath. Let's let's move on, you know, kind of attitude. So I thought that was a little that was a little awkward. But 
I think it was great the way they incorporated the the culture of the people and how that is counter to Shuri's view as a woman of science. Her mother is is a woman of culture and religion. You know, Shuri's attitude is, you know, if the gods were real, my brother would have died. You know, the mother's perspective is, well, you know, your brother's in a better place now because he died. And yes, we miss him, but we all have to move on. And they had this whole custom where uh, a year after someone's death, they burn the, the clothes they wore at the burial ceremony. And Shuri was not ready to let go. And she was still angry that she couldn't find a solution to cure her brother. It, it was a very heavy stuff for part of this movie. And the flip side of it was, you actually have a legitimate threat you're dealing with, with Namor showing up. And I thought it was an amazing job by Ryan Coogler, the director and one of the writers of the movie, to try to balance between your, your focus on Wakanda but also explaining its relevance to Talukan, which is the homeland of Namor. And I thought that they did two things that I really applaud them for. One, they killed off a character in a way that didn't disrespect the character. You know, one of the problems some people have in movies in general is the person they choose to have die in a movie typically is somebody who, you know, the character has a connection to the audience. There is some, uh, you know, extra level of something that goes into that character. And I think for me, I thought that they did a very, I thought they did a better job in Black Panther Wakanda Forever with uh, Queen Ramonda's passing than they did in Black Adam with Dr. Fate sacrificing himself when he died to save the world. I think that there are ways to do character deaths that are so respectful to the character and not disrespectful or frustrating to the audience. And I thought the way they let, you know, Ramonda basically be a casualty of war was a huge part of that. I also liked the fact that they really dug into the growth of certain characters and the evolution of them in this film. You see the growth and the evolution of M'Baku's character from the Jabari tribe, you know, and Shuri's growth and maturity and evolution throughout the movie. And you, you almost see a parallel between, you know, M'Baku's first, you know, time dealing with Shuri and his annoyance with her and, you know, his... And her, both of their naive thinking toward each other and the world around them and how they both have grown from the first movie's uh, opening scenes to this movie and its close of how they both had to grow. They both had to go through this maturity. They both had to go through this better understanding of each other. They both had to basically uh, make that step from their own personal sheltered worldviews of things and open their mind to each other's points of view. And I thought that was uh, amazing the way that played out. Uh, to me, one of the underrated stars 
of this movie is Winston Duke and M'Baku because, you know, M'Baku was originally this, you know, tribal rival of, you know, T'Challa, right? In the first movie. And now he's a part of the Wakandan Council. He is somebody that people look to and trust. He is someone who is, he's still got a little bit of this, you know, uh, side to him that's very rebellious and very pushed back against, you know, the system. But he's also become more open-minded. And one of the things that happens is, is in in the first showdown with dealing with Namor and Namor's people, M'Baku finds out that his big staff basically broke when he was trying to fight Namor. So what happens later in the movie? He gets another staff to fight with, but it's made of vibranium. You know, he goes from having this this wooden chest plate that shatters when he gets hit by Namor to then wearing, you know, what everybody else is basically wearing in the movie, which is vibranium. You know, these are small things that show that he's opening his mind. He's growing. He's becoming a better person. And I love at the end that he basically becomes, again, spoiler alert, he becomes King of Wakanda. And Shuri becomes the Black Panther, the protector of Wakanda. And they already did something like this before where King T'Chaka, T'Challa's father, and Queen Ramonda, T'Challa's mother, were both the rulers of Wakanda, but the Black Panther didn't have to be the king. And I think that was a nice distinction because I think Shuri, she obviously feels like she has still some maturing, some growth to do. And this movie definitely shows, uh, she makes a a huge step forward. But like anybody, you know, when you make major steps forward and major growth, you still have things to work through emotionally and and, uh, mentally that I think Latita Wright did an amazing job at really embodying those emotions. She goes from loss to anger to denial, to distrust, and then comes back again. And she literally is intent on being, like, a destructive force of nature and basically killing people because her mother died and her brother died. And she learns through the process that, you know, as her mother tells her and as her brother was an example, that's not who she is. She is not... Killmonger, who makes a cameo appearance in the movie uh, on the ancestral plane when she takes the heart-shaped herb. You know, she doesn't have that evil in her that he did, that, you know, unrelenting evil. And I think you see the flip side, that Namor is a similar person, that he has anger, he has rage, he has resentment for the world, he doesn't want eternal war. He doesn't want to just kill people, you know, and he admits his own mistakes. And Shuri, with technology and her wit and her mind, and she humbles him and she brings him to his knees. And instead of killing him, she basically creates peace between Talokan and Wakanda. Now, as you see in the movie, the reason why Talokan uh, has basically an equal amount of, uh, you know, umph 
or firepower, I should call it, uh, between them and Wakanda's because they have vibranium too. And they mentioned in the movie about how, you know, uh, you know, some of the people say, you know, we were told for years that we were special because we were the only ones with vibranium. Now we find out we're not the only ones. And it, it's an interesting play that Marvel does because if you go back and watch Thor Love and Thunder and you re-watch the scene with the, um, you know, the council of all the gods when Zeus is talking, the god sitting directly, lowercase g god, sitting directly in front of Thor and Mighty Thor and um, that, that group, uh, Valkyrie and all them, was actually Bast, the panther god. So it's another example of Marvel saying these are lowercase g gods. These are culture and tradition that was basically developed and fostered by people who didn't know better, right? You know, the idea of the Eternals is that they have been around for so long that all these legends and stories were told about them and they were semi-based on truth, but they were obviously embellished and changed and altered over time. You know, the idea uh, that some historians have said about uh, you know, Greek mythology and Egyptian mythology and Mesopotamian mythology and Roman mythology is that a lot of the characters of the stories that were told were actual people, but they became from legend to myth. You know, they crossed that line. And the idea is, is that, um, you know, historically, there's always been this theory out there that, you know, there is truth to every legend. There's reality to every myth. And the, the working theory that Marvel likes to play off of, that Stan Lee and Jack Kirby both being Jewish men, remember, that, keep that in mind, you know, so their, their view of the world is through the idea that uh, you know, the first five books of the Christian Bible, you know, the, the, the basis of all of a you know, traditional Jewish religion you know, the Jewish people and their their growth from Adam and Eve to Noah to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and Moses and all these different things, these are all, you know, part of their history. They were built into their culture and their story. But for Jewish people, the idea that Jesus coming along really messed with them, right? The idea of Jesus being Jewish and he introducing a whole new world order and a whole new, you know, way to God and all these different things and him even being God was for the Jewish people of, you know, uh, what is it, you know, like 30 AD or whatever it is, uh, it was like, you know, spitting in their face. So, you know, it's a similar concept you see playing out with Wakanda forever. The idea that, you know, we were told for years that we were the chosen people and we were special. And now you're coming along and telling us, that anybody could have this vibranium and they got the weapons too. You know, it, it's it's a little similar, I see a parallel between that and what, you know, the Pharisees and the Sadducees had to deal with, with, you know, Jesus saying, you know, you know, they ask him, you know, before Abraham was, I am. They want to stone him. Why? Because he's saying he's God, right? <laughs> God, uppercase G. We're going from lowercase G to uppercase G. So a lot of the concepts in Marvel are in many ways based on Stanley and Jack Kirby's, uh, you know, and also, you know, Roy Thomas wasn't Jewish, but I think he was Catholic. 
Um, I know that Steve Everhart was you know, he he grew up in a in a uh, Methodist uh, upbringing. You know, a lot of the the writers and the authors of the Marvel comics for the first fifteen years were all people who had a familiarity with you know Judeo Christian concepts, and so they're taking those concepts and putting them in, and that's what you're seeing with Wakanda Forever. This idea that Talokan and Wakanda both thought they were special and they were unique and there was no one like them and they were chosen by their god. And now you're finding out that <laughs> their god uh, maybe really didn't choose them as they thought they did. And it kind of like, you know, ruins the whole story. Ah, it ruins the whole culture, right? So uh, that's part of what the movie is about as well. It's the idea of, you know, re-explaining history. It's taking this... This, you know, thousands of years of stories and and finding out that part of it isn't true. And that, you know, for a lot of people, and they express it in the movie, is it's very, very uh, hard for them to wrap their minds around. So, you know, that's a part of the movie as well. Um, let's get into Namor real quick. Namor is obviously a big part of this movie, uh, in part because he is arguably the oldest of every Marvel character. Uh, for those who don't know... Namor the Submariner predates Aquaman's creation in the comic book world by about 10 years. Um, and he is Marvel's oldest character, even though he was created way before Marvel Comics was ever officially established uh, back in, like, I think it was 1960. So, you know, comics such as Timely Comics and all these other, there were tons of comic book um, publishers back in the 30s and 40s. And Namor was one of the first enduring characters that was ever created. And so this was a big moment for Marvel to finally get him into the MCU because his rights and his, there's all kinds of issues with him. You know, Universal apparently, uh, you know, held the right to his distribution for about 20 years and they finally relented on the rights. And, um, you know, there was a whole big legal concern about, you know, like, well, you know, Universal still owns partial rights to the character so he can't have his own movie and you know, all this fiasco. So, Marvel, this is a big deal for Marvel to finally introduce one of their oldest characters into this world. I appreciate, I know some people don't, but I appreciate the fact that they did make some modifications to Namor's character and his history. They still keep him a mutant. He openly admits that, that he is a mutant, to which, you know, Shuri is now very interested because, you know, you know, as a scientist, you know, it's almost like, ooh, a science experiment in front of me, happening in front of my eyes, you know, kind of thing. Um, but he admits openly that he is a mutant, which is the thing he was in the comics, that being um, the... I thought it was interesting that they modified his origin, though, because instead of him being, you know, uh, his mother and father being from two different worlds, like it was in the comics originally... It felt like Marvel was saying, okay, we can't have Namor be the Marvel version of Aquaman, even though Namor predates Aquaman by about eight to ten years. Um, they decided that we're going to make some modifications. And so instead of him being a mutant because of, you know, just the dormant gene in his biology, it's also because, uh, you know, his mother... And her people took their version of the heart-shaped herb. And as a result of it, he was mutated along the way. So, and you see in, in, the, in the movie that 
he is looks and acts a little different than his people. So obviously there is a different. I thought it was interesting that they, uh, similar to the original comics, he is a bit of a deity to his people. Um, obviously they change what the deity is. Um, I thought it was interesting that they really link this into Central American culture and the Mayans and the Aztecs and all that stuff because we saw those entities make an appearance in the Eternals. Remember, there was the Spanish uh, conquistadors and the invaders who you know were killing all those people in Central America and Eternals and Druig got mad and he wanted to stop the whole war and that's when the Eternals broke up. Well, you see a similar timeline when Namor's mother dies, they bring her body back to the old village to bury her, and Namor finds that, you know, the, as Shuri would call them, the colonizers, uh, were in Central America, and that was the first time that the, the people of Central America introduced to the people from the water, and al Kuki Khan, okay, um... I'm not saying the name right. I would have to I would have to look up the name again in front of me. But um, I feel like I I'm, I actually can hear Mbaku say the name in my ear. What the the god type they refer to him as again, lowercase g. Uh, but I'm not going to say it right. I'm going to mess it up again. So, uh, which makes Namor uh, really old. He's basically about half as old as Thor is. Because if we are looking at, you know, the Mayas and the Aztecs dealing with the Spanish and the Portuguese invaders in like the 14 and 1500s and the 1600s, like that, like, you know, range of time, we're saying that um, Namor was born, let's say, 1500. Well... It's 2023 now in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Remember, the Marvel Cinematic Universe is a year ahead of our clock in real time because of the Thanos snap and all the other fiasco that's going on and production delays. So what you're really saying is, is that Namor is a little over 700 years old. I think that should have been something you should have fleshed out a little bit. Maybe they flesh it out in a future project or movie or whatever. But... I love the, also the fact that they kept his powers intact. And I give a ton of credit to Marvel. They took the stupidest part of Namor's character in the comics and made it believable. In the comics, Namor has wings on his heels so he can fly. And they gave him wings on his heels. And you know what? Good job by Ryan Coogler and the Marvel production staff for not making it look stupid. Because that was a lot of ways that could go wrong <laughs> to have a guy flying because he's got wings on his heels because uh, he's a mutant. But they got it done. And I did think they had a little interesting Easter egg because M'Baku referred to Namor as strong as the Hulk. So now you're establishing Namor as a powerhouse in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And so what you're going to have is, moving forward, uh, the actor who plays Namor, Tanakh Huerta, he's going to be playing this character for years to come. And I am very fascinated about how Marvel uses him moving forward. Because 
There's a lot of ways they can work him in. But he's definitely going to be a part of the next couple phases of the MCU. Because there were things that happened in this movie that are directly related to the future of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Let's get to that right here. You find out in the movie that Everett Ross, who also has grown from the first time he dealt with the Wakandans in Captain America Civil War to where he is now. Now he's like a, uh, almost like an informant for them and a, and a secret insider for them. Someone that he trusts them, they trust him. You find out that he is not just a guy who works for the CIA. No, apparently he's a little more than that. You find out in in the movie that he is the ex of Val and the agency that Val works for, she runs the CIA. That was a little bit not what I expected, okay? I did not see that coming at all. I saw a lot of stuff in this movie coming. That was not one of them. Um, you, you know, Julie Louise Dreyfus, you know, playing the character of um, Val, and I'm not going to say her full name for brevity's sake, but the character from the comics, they're establishing that she runs the CIA. And that changes a lot of things. What you're saying is now, you used to have S.H.I.E.L.D., you have S.W.O.R.D. out there kind of somewhere doing stuff. Now you have the CIA getting involved in these things. And apparently the CIA really wants to get their hands on Vibranium to the point that the president wants to basically, well, according to Val, the president has told her and the U.S. Secretary of State, uh, played by Richard Schiff, and you may remember him, uh, he was also in Man of Steel, so this is not his first foray into the comic book world, that the president wants to cause unrest in Wakanda and upheaval so they can create a window for them to just go in there and get the vibranium. And which is where uh, the conflict between Talokan and Wakanda even comes in because there's a young scientist who develops a way to find vibranium anywhere on Earth. And that scientist is Riri Williams. And you're introduced to Riri Williams for the first time uh, very well done by Marvel to not over-embellish her, not go crazy about her, but establish her intellect, establish her as um, someone to be dealt with and respected as a um, as a scientist. And now you're going to have the Ironheart show coming out. Um, we're not fully sure how that's going to connect to Tony Stark, but we know there's going to be uh, some connection to Tony Stark because they were definitely putting in some, you know, little... Easter eggs, like, you know, people saying, oh, it looks like, where did she get Iron Man tech from? You know, and where did she get Stark tech? How did how does she know how to make this stuff? Uh, well, because she's a genius. But I like the fact that, you know, she doesn't really understand what's going on. She's completely oblivious to what the government is doing, even though the government used her technology um, to basically cause all these problems, right? And what happens is, is that you actually get to a point where now you're being talking about in the movie that the U.S. government, at least with the CIA's help, wants to basically um, take down Wakanda, okay? 
And so, you know, Valentina Allegra de Fontaine, Julia Louise Dreyfus's character, she basically now looks like she's going to be um, in charge of the U.S. government's response to fill in the blank. And that's where the Thunderbolts movie that's coming out soon is going to come into play. Because I think what's going to happen is the Thunderbolts are going to have a mission that is going to be either like, you know, going to get vibranium or, you know, dealing with Talukan or, um, you know, dealing with the aftermath of, of the, um, the secret invasion show, you know, whatever it may be, all these things, it's going to be like, hey, the mission was supposed to be this, but then we found out that we're being secretly sent in there to do this. And then, you know, all these manipulated heroes are going to turn on Val and they're going to go back to being heroes that have hired guns for the government. Okay, I know it's a lot to get. <laughs> so uh, let's wrap this up with a couple things. Um, I, I saw online a lot of people were questioning uh, why Ramonda is the queen of Wakanda in this movie. The explanation is very simple. Um, when the Thanos snap happened, T'Challa and Shuri were both snapped out of existence. And Ramonda and Okoye were a couple of the only people left who were actually, and, and Nakia apparently, were a couple of the only people who were still um, alive after the snap, the Thanos snap. So that's why Ramonda is queen. And she has this amazing scene where she basically goes to the UN um, and they're demanding of her, you know, why haven't you given us access to vibranium? And she says, well, I don't trust you guys with it. And by the way, uh, instead of killing these people, I captured these mercenaries that one of your countries hired and sent in to invade, uh, you know, one of our outreach centers. And she basically marches them into the UN and leaves them there. And then she leaves, you know, uh, it was a very powerful scene. And I think that uh, Angela Bassett does an incredible job in this movie. You know, she she tries to, you know, she doesn't try. She does portray emotion and strength. And the thing that I love about this movie is, you know, there's a lot of female central characters. And there's not a lot of female central characters because it's a, a girl power movie or anything like that. It's just because. T'Challa, the only people remaining of his family, because his father died and he's dead, is his sister and his mother. And then you have his, you know, lifelong, you know, the woman he loves, Nakia. You know, you have Okoye, who was, you know, the head of the Dora Malaji. You know, you have Ayo and Aneka, you know, these, all the Dora Malaji. There, there are a women, a, a, a group of women who are the elite fighters and the security and basically the, for lack of a better term, you know, they're like the Marine Special Ops or the Army Green Berets of the Wakandan forces. They just happen to be women. So I don't think there was ever a moment, though, I felt like this was, um, you know, like girl power or feeling woke or anything like that. I just think it just happened to be... Um, that, you know, those were the characters who were left over. I thought they did a nice job at flushing out where the characters have been, where they are now, and where they're going. And where they're going is a huge part of where the future of the MCU is going, 
which is one, you've already established that Val, the CIA, and whoever is the president, which I'm going to assume is Thunderbolt Ross. I think he became president because he was Secretary of State in the Civil War movie. And I think it would be very convenient that he's still involved because they are recasting uh, the character because William Hurt passed away. Well, they've already recast Thunderball Ross, and apparently in the future movies, it's going to be Harrison Ford. So we get to see uh, Harrison Ford play the president again. <laughs> um, I think that's what's going on. And I think how that relates to things is I'm going to assume that the third Black Panther movie is going to deal with um, the government trying to cause unrest in Wakanda. They'll probably, you know, rope in Talokan into that, you know, basically now Talokan and uh, Wakanda have a truce where basically if they attack me or they attack you, we help each other. Um, I could totally see this turning out to be, you know, basically, you know, nefarious government agency and forces going after Wakanda. And I think it'll be because if you look at the um, order of events, right? The Secret Invasion movie is coming out next year, okay? And it's not even a movie, it's actually a, a miniseries with uh, Samuel L. Jackson reprising the character of Nick Fury. I have a strong feeling because they're introducing Abigail Brand, uh, they're diving deep into this idea that um, really there's a bunch of bad or evil um, scrolls that are trying to take over the world. You know, I've, I've suggested on previous podcasts that one of those scrolls is pretending to be Sharon Carr. That's why she was acting so weird because it's not actually her. In the uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier show, I think in the aftermath of Secret Invasion, there's going to be a lot of stuff to come out of that, Okay. And you saw in She-Hulk, on a smaller scale, what happens when people who have bad intentions start doing weird stuff, right? In the She-Hulk show, you saw that, you know, with the, the Hulk King and the online message boards and, and the cult following that guy gets and all the weird things that are going on there. Well, imagine that weird stuff. Take that with the Secret Invasion, find out there are people who are pretending to be other people for forever how long it's been. And then, on top of all of that, what's going to happen is you got to deal with all the things come after that, okay? The next Captain America movie is going to be in the aftermath of that. And so will a lot of things. So you're going to have two opposing threats going on in the Marvel Cinematic Universe moving forward. It's going to be on one hand... How the world is handling not just the world post, you know, Thanos, but this basically revelation that there were people pretending to be somebody else in the government for years and in all kinds of places. You got to deal with the fact that Kang is coming. You're going to get into more of that in Ant-Man. And Vibranium and Namor are probably going to be caught in somewhere in the middle of it because I'm sure that... Um, you know, the, you know, you, you found out in Shang-Chi that the, um, the 10 rings are made of a substance that is not 
from the known universe, right? Well, what if they're from the microverse? What if they're from the quantum realm? We've all seen the trailers for Ant-Man, Mania. The rings that Kang is using in the quantum realm look a lot like the, the ten rings that Shang-Chi has on his arm. And what if vibranium is the only thing that's strong enough to deal with that? And what if Namor has to be the guy that has to go punch for punch with some big villain because nobody else is available and Shuri basically pulls the you owe me one thing on him and that's how Namor gets into the fight with Kang or something, right? And... What if the whole idea of, you know, Talakan's supposed to be a secret, then they don't become a secret, then how does the world react to that? And there's all kinds of repercussions that come from that. So I think that the two main things that come out of this movie are uh, the introduction of Namor being a powerhouse in the MCU for what he's capable of. The fact that Shuri's now the new Black Panther, but she's young and still learning how to be Black Panther. She's a different style of execution and fighting. Because she's more of like a, a gymnast than a uh, like a pure martial artist, like T'Challa was. T'Challa was more, <clears throat> excuse me, of like a, a skilled martial artist, and Shuri is more of a, a gymnastic threat who does know some combat, you know, hand to hand combat. Um, so those are going to be characters who will be moving forward. I like the fact they kept Shuri as part of the lineage of Black Panther because. You know, for what people feel about Latina Wright, you know, in her personal life, because people are mad at her because of reviews on, you know, COVID and all that stuff. Uh, I think that she did a great job with the Shuri character, and I think I'm looking forward to seeing the character move forward. I'm very curious to see what the Ironheart show is going to be like for Riri Williams. And, you know, this is another introduction, by the way. Riri Williams is a young Avenger, just like Miss Marvel, just like Wanda's kids, uh, just like all these other characters who are being introduced. Um, uh, Isaiah Bradley's grandson, Falcon Winter Shoulder. So Phase 4 has been a lot, been a lot of groundwork laying. I think you're going to see things really pop off uh, starting next year. Like I said, Ant-Man, Quantum Mania. You know, you're going to find out uh, about what Kang's really up to uh, in the quantum realm. You're going to deal with um, uh, just so many things coming up. It's just, it's a lot, but I think it's it's nice that Black Panther Wakanda forever can stand on its own two feet. I think the movie does a great job with a tribute to the Chala. I think it was a smart but sneaky way for Marvel to replace Chadwick Boseman by saying he has a son that's T'Challa Jr. Uh, that's six years old. So maybe like, you know, 14 years from now, he can be the next Black Panther when Shuri doesn't, maybe Shuri gets killed off at some point. Um... There's a lot of layers to deal with there. I love the fact that they they reestablished uh, Everett Ross's character at the end. That you know he's basically uh, Wakanda operative now because they broke him out of uh, you know prisoner transport. I like the fact that they gave Okoye uh, a new purpose in the MCU moving forward. That she's not just the the leader of the Dora Milaje anymore. That she's not just you know the most feared woman in Wakanda. I like the fact that they reestablished Nakia's role as a spy and and basically taking her character to a new tier as a mother 
and showing another side of her. I love seeing character growth, whether it's Nakia, Shuri, and Baku. Um, and I'm looking forward to see what they do future because I know that you know, you're not introducing, a, for example, a Tuma who was introduced in this movie as someone under Namor. We don't introduce that guy by, uh, by accident because that guy hates Namor in the comics. They are enemies, right? And Namor has a ton of connections in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I mentioned he's a mutant. mutant. That's one. He was in a gazillion Fantastic Four comics over the years because he has this long, ongoing crush on Sue Storm in the comics. So there's that part, and I'm sure they'll play into that at some point in the Fantastic Four movie. Um, you know, Atuma, he is an enemy of Namor, so he'll probably turn on him at some point at a future point. You know, maybe he works with, um, you know, Kang or somebody like that. And, of course, there's a lot of people were hoping for this guy to be in the movie, but he wasn't, and I'm glad he wasn't because he would have taken away from the movie. I got to address it before I get out of here from the Mutant Bliss podcast. I am so grateful they did not use this movie to introduce Dr. Doom. Dr. Doom is one of the greatest villains of Marvel comic history. He is nuanced. He is layered. There's, there's a lot with that guy. And you're talking about 70 years of comic book history with that guy. I don't want to see him get introduced in a cheap way in this movie. He's coming. There is going to be a Doctor Doom in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I guarantee it. But don't, don't introduce him in this movie. Let this movie stand on its own two feet. Let the, the, the Phase 4 end with some positive vibes. You know, let Namor, you know, stand on his own. Shuri stand on her own. Wakanda and Talukan stand on their own. There's no need for Doctor Doom. Especially considering if they're going to do Doctor Doom right, it's only movie movies should appear in. His introduction has to come in the Fantastic Four. Because he's the primary villain of the Fantastic Four. His nemesis, Victor Von Doom's main nemesis, is Reed Richards. So I'm glad they didn't introduce him here. They're saving him for later. And overall, I think if I had to rate this movie, I would say it's good. I understand it's not better than the first Black Panther. Uh, but it's very well done. It's emotional. If you're somebody who you know gets emotional with movies, you might have some crying moments in this movie, some emotional points of the movie. Uh, it definitely tugs on the heartstrings a bit. But I thought it was well done. It was a great continuation of the um, of the first movie and all the subsequent storylines connected after that movie. And finally, before I get out of here, first four days, <laughs> first four days of Black Panther: Wakanda Forever, 180 million, 180 million domestically. That means it tripled the box office of Dwayne Johnson's Black Panther. That means it doubled the box office of Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness and Thor Love and Thunder. It's supposedly about, uh, last thing I saw was about 350 million plus worldwide, uh, which means it's already, you know, easily in the top eight of movies this year. And as I told you guys in the last podcast, look, I think people want escapism. I think people love these movies because they are a welcome distraction from the real world. And because in the end, good defeats evil. 
And in the movies, you know, you don't have, you know, all of these, um, the, 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 the preachiness of the world we live in, you know, with the news and all the things that go into it. You know, I think people love the idea they can go to a movie, they can sit down, they can escape the Wakanda, you know, just like when we were younger, you know, before we were on social media, you know, you grab a book and you'd escape to Narnia, like your chronicles of uh, Narnia, or you, you know, you escape to, you know, whatever fictional place you run away to um, with a good book. You did the same thing with comic books, at least I did when I was a kid, and you're like, able to do that with these movies. And I love the fact that they are, they are really trying to stay true to the original tent of the comics. And like I said, I don't mind them changing part of Namor's origin because I think it's a little more digestible and believable and uh, it fits more into the MCU and its relation to Wakanda. And it's a good job that Marvel was trying to say, we don't want to have the Marvel Aquaman, even though we have every right to because Namor predates Aquaman. We're not going to have the Marvel Aquaman. We're going to let Namor stand on his own two feet and I'm looking forward to seeing what they specifically do with Namor moving forward. I'm going to assume that he's going to be in multiple properties moving forward. I don't know exactly what those properties are. Uh, I think it's a little too early to predict that. I'm going to assume that Shuri appears in the Ironheart show at some point. I'm going to assume that Everett Ross is going to be in not just Ironheart, but maybe Secret Invasion or um, the Captain America movie. I mean... I forgot about that. I mean, uh, Sam Wilson's Captain America has vibranium as his suit now. You know, does do the Wakandans help him dealing with the quote-unquote new world order that he has to fight against? <sighs> All right. I, I think I just blew my own mind there for a moment. So thank you for listening to the Mutant Bliss Podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, like, subscribe, share it with your friends. If you're listening on uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, um, wherever else you listen to your podcasts, um, thank you for consuming the podcast. I appreciate everyone who listens and shares and subscribes. I'm Josh Hennig. You can follow me on Twitter at Josh Hennig. Thank you for watching. If you have any thoughts or comments, you can hit me up there or drop in the comment section below, and I'll catch you next time.